Hello and welcome to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Jane Sweeten from the Sweeten and Salisbury podcast who's celebrating being being nominated in a prestigious award. James, tell us all about it. Yeah, the International Mixed Martial Arts Federation Young Journalist of the Year 2021. It's an absolute honour to be nominated amongst the eight best young martial arts journalists in the world. There's a final eight shortlist now. I've made that cut. I mean, I'm up against opposition from all over the world. I think there's four English lads, a Scottish lad, a Georgian woman, a Pakistani and an American. So it's really a massive international field. I'm hoping for the best. I've received so much support from you and Paul. And come the end of June, hopefully I'll be the number one journalist on the planet. Young journalist, that is. And I'll get to fly out to Kazakhstan to cover the Amateur World Championships. It means the world and I'm extremely proud to have got this opportunity. Unbelievable stuff, and you can hear him on the Sports Zone on Solvesit Radio every Tuesday, 7 to 8. Make sure you tune in. Also joining us is Paul Whiteside, who hasn't won an award, but is the man of the people, and that's all I'm at, Paul. Yeah, it's a tough act to follow, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you, mate. Yeah, looking forward to, to the show. There's uh, there's plenty to, to talk about. There's plenty going on, and, uh, and yeah, just echoing what you say there about, about James. He's a, he's a really hard-working young man, and uh, we wish him all the best with his, with his future. We don't want to lose him, though, on the sports zone, do we? He's a, a talented guy, so we're hoping he's going to stick around, but well done, mate. No, absolutely, Paul. Uh, thank you very much for the support, and don't worry, you won't be losing me anytime soon. Quite enjoy my time here on the sports zone. That's good news. So... Let's uh, talk Rugby League. Let's start with the Rugby League, Paul, and the Challenge Cup semi-finals were held uh, this weekend. Uh, two good games. Yeah, I didn't see much of them. I've been I've been working this weekend, so I've I've, I've caught up. I've, I've spoke to my dad about them. We've we've debated them long and hard. He's told me what's been going on. I've seen a few of the highlights, and I did listen to quite a bit of them on the radio yesterday. I do enjoy rugby league on the radio when when I'm working. I like to listen to the commentary. I listened to a bit of a Leeds match against Wakefield as well on Sunday. So, so yeah. I, I, I thought both games, from what I heard, were very exciting. The St. Helens and Hull game was on a knife edge, really, there towards the, the back end of the game, and Hull stormed back into it, and you know, a bounce of the ball it could have gone the other way. Hull could have won. Unfortunate for them. Regan Grace, you know, the Welsh wizard on the wing there, has, has intercepted and turned the game on its head, and 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 given St. Helens the victory. So uh, St. Helens looking for their first Challenge Cup win since 2008. They've not won it for since 2008 when they beat Hull in the uh, in the final at Wembley. So. Uh, so it's been a long time between drinks for, for, for St. Helens' standards. Anyway, the Warrington game against Cass on Sunday, a surprise result, I thought. I mean, the two sides had met recently in the league and Warrington had put Cassford to the sword. They'd beat Salford by 60 points last week and then Cassford found something there. The ex-Salford contingent, Jordan Turner scoring scoring tries. Gareth O'Brien was, was awesome. Naya Level was brilliant again. So a great result for Cassford. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure we'll... Uh, We'll see a great final between the two the two sides. Yeah, looking obviously at the two games separately, Paul. Uh, Saints beat Hull thirty three points to eighteen. Uh, Theo Fars try controversial try. Uh, Ex Salford player Josh Griffin uh, sort of pulled up with a sort of Achilles injury, dropped the ball, and Theo Fars picked it up and scored. Uh, outrage on on the field and on the terraces. Do you think it was right to to, to take the pick the ball up and score there, Paul? Because obviously you know sportsmanship is important. I know there's a remember uh, Paolo Di Canio uh, for West Ham against Everton stopped the player you know immediately when someone got injured do you think Theo did the right thing there and, and carrying on scoring I think from a young age in sport particularly rugby league you're taught to play to the whistle aren't you and um, 
you know, I don't think you can blame Theo Farge for that. I mean, he's not he's not a doctor, he's not a medic, he doesn't know the, the, the extent of the injury. And it all happened so quick, doesn't it, rugby league? So, you know, I think from a this might be harsh, but if you're Josh Griffin, I think you need to hold on to the ball, don't you? I can remember not not something as bad as Josh Griffin's injury, but I remember Ian Sibbett doing a similar thing for Salford at Whitehaven a long time ago. And um, he sort of released the ball, the play of the ball, and, and the referee played it on. And I think Whitehaven scored on the back of that. So, you, you know, it's, it's it's a difficult one. It is controversial, but, you know, those are the rules. And I think if you listen to what Hull's coach had to say at the end of the game, you know, Brett Hodgson, he, he sort of said, you know, it was, he had nothing bad to say about T.O. Far. So it's one of those, you'll, you'll get people's opinions and things like that. And I know Josh Griffin was a bit sort of aggrieved, but you've got to hang on to the ball, haven't you? It's just just unfortunate. I think it's unfortunate. It's a freak freak sort of thing, is it? A freak sort of injury. And, you know, we, we wish him all the best in his recovery because that, that Achilles injury and that, that sort of leg injury is, is a tough one. You could be out for a while with that. Yeah, it was it was a controversial decision. Obviously, you get to you're taught to hold the ball all the time, Paul. So I think he should have kept hold of the ball, injured or not. But it does uh, it does it has spiced a few people up on on Facebook and Twitter because obviously you know, when a man goes down, you think the play should stop, but it doesn't really happen like that, unfortunately. Uh, looking at the other other semi final, uh, Casford beat Warrington thirty five points to twenty. Ex Salford player Jordan Turner with a hat trick. Uh, a lot of people talking about how Salford um, have been. Sort of not allowed a, an elite academy, um, a elite academy squad for this for next season and the next five seasons been turned down. And John and Turner came through our, our academy uh, way back when. Well, I think if you if you look over the weekend, the four semi finalist teams. I mean, the guys pulling the strings were all people that had come through Salford's academy. You had Mark Sneed at Hull, you had Theo Fires at St. Helens, you had um, you know Nia Levels at Castlewood playing really well there and. And Warrington, you had Stefan Ratchford. So, I mean, if you go through the league, there's an awful lot of players in the league who've, who've come through that system at Salford. And if you go into the championship, there's absolutely loads of the championships clubs as well. You can ream off. So, this this notion that you know Salford have not created and brought through through youth players over the last decade or so, I think, is a load of nonsense. We have, we have done, and I think someone needs to start banging the drum for us so we can feel agreed to that. But I think we can feel proud as well. I mean, I often see our players on, on the television doing really well. and Yeah, it's a bit frustrating because, you know, you want those players to stay at Salford. Don't we? We've lost an awful lot of talent, not just players that we brought through the system, but players that we've we've sort of brought to our club as, as sort of rough diamonds and, and, and polished them up and, and made them into half-decent players. And then we've sort of not got... The, we've had benefit from them, but just when they're starting to blossom, we've lost them, haven't we? And we can all think of quite a few of those players, can't we? So it's important that we, we hang on to players. But, you know, it's, it's a tough industry sport and, you know, the cream tends to rise to the top, doesn't it? Yeah, and the RFL have, have confirmed they're going to work with us and Lee to develop our academy, elite academy in the next couple of years. And hopefully we'll have one in sort of three to five years' time. I spoke to, to Paul Trainer, Salford's director, and he's in charge of that. And he was very excited about the prospect of, of Salford's academy in the next few years, putting good foundations in place, Paul. And, and it's a good thing. Obviously, it's coming around too, too early for this year. Uh, but in five years' time, I fully expect Salford to have one. Definitely, Rob. I think... When you think about Salford as a catchment area um, and, and, and Greater Manchester in, as, a, as a region as well and Salford as a city, it's a massive catchment area. There's a lot of young children playing the game. And if you think about the area of Lee as well, who just mentioned, a lot of players have come through Lee over the years and, and still do. It's a rugby league town, but also with Salford, 
but you've got the outskirts as well. You've got the likes of Rochdale, you've got Oldham, you've got all the North Manchester and, and, and sort of that way. So it's a big, it's a big area, big a big sort of borough. So um, there's an awful lot of talent to be tapped into there. So I mean, no, dis- no disrespect to Castleford and Wakefield and places like that. They're only small towns, really. We've got an awful lot more potential than perhaps they have as well. And even like, sort of Wigan and St. Helens have got have got the, the the history there, haven't they? And the, and the clubs there, and it's 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 played as a religion in those places. So you're probably always going to struggle to to keep up with them sort of places. But if we can get the kids in schools playing in this big area that we've got and this big catchment space. I don't see why we can't have an academy and produce uh, players, you know, in the future. Yep. Let's talk about our other local rugby league side, Swinton Lions. They were in the 1895 semi-final uh, on Sunday, Paul. They went down to defeat against York City Knights, 36 points to 22. Great performance by Swinton Lions against the top-rated York City Knights squad. Sue Littler's men will be proud of that performance. Unfortunately, not going to get to Wembley, but good things will come from this, I feel. Yeah, I think so. I mean, going into that game, you know, it's Wembley. It was a, it's a big game for them. And, you know, going to, to York City Knights, who made a good start to the season. They've got some big-name players in their side. You know, Kieran Dixon, Ryan Atkins, Adam Cuthbertson's there. Danny Kermond and Chris Chris Bryan, they used to play for it as well. So they've, they've got some some big names. They've spent some money there and, and, and put a good side together. I think Mikey Lewis as well, the young Kulkai cool halfback, was playing for them on loan at the weekend. So they've got they've got a side that, you know, should be challenging at the top of the championship. It was always going to be tough for Swinton but they raised the game and I thought they did really well in that match and uh, Mike Butt the uh, the back there got a hat-trick of, of tries as well and, and had a good game so it was a game that probably York had him at arm's length but Swinton you know showed glimpses there if they can if they can put that into league form now they can start picking up points because I think York played Swinton a few weeks ago and had a real sort of easy victory against them so it just shows signs that, that Swinton are improving now but it's okay raising your game for a semi-final but you've got to get up to that level every week now and, and start performing in the league because it's going to get tough in that championship and what they don't want is to, to go through the relegation trap door again so Swinton needs to start picking up results but you know that performance yeah it's going to do him a lot of good in confidence wise but also the disappointment of not getting to Wembley as well let's hope Stuart Little can, can rally his troops for uh, for next week's game yeah, talking about uh, next week's game, games. Salford are away at Hull Kingston Rovers. Swinton at home to Newcastle. Salford play Friday. Swinton play Sunday. Both games, you know, good competitive games for for their clubs. Definitely, both are. Um, you know, for Salford, we've got two away games now at Hull Kingston Rovers and Huddersfield. We don't want to be going into our home game against Leeds. We've just won winning ten. I think it's desperate now that we win one of these games. I mean, Lee at the weekend. Played, played fantastic rugby at Wakefield and were unlucky not to get a result in that game. So they're, they're banging on the door now and looking like they could get a result. So we don't want to be just two points in front of them. We need to start winning. Hulk has a tough place to go. They've been on a good run of form and playing well, so that's going to be tough. Swinton Lions against Newcastle. That's that's a big game for Swinton. You know, Newcastle are probably not one of the best sides in the league. Swinton need to be targeting that game, throwing everything at that and, and trying to get the two points this weekend. So it should be two cracking matches there. Yeah, obviously pressure on both Richard Marshall and Stuart Littler because obviously Salford are struggling. Swinton have just come off this semi-final. They're both going to have to work hard this week to G the players up. They certainly are. Yeah, Richard Marshall. Yeah, they put, everybody's under pressure, aren't they, Robert? When you're on a, a losing run, the microscope is on you. I mean, look at Lee Centurions. They they parted company with their coach, John Duffy, last week. I mean, they, they, they've yet to win the game, but Salford's only won one. So um, I know we've we've got injury problems and they're sort of mounting up and and there's a lot to deal with at the moment. I know 
one question I'd probably be asking Richard Marshall is what's what's the, the big thing that's that's causing the problem? Is it injuries? Is it something else? So he'll know what he's got to do right and what he's got to, to, to put together. He's got an awful lot of experience, hasn't he, in the sport, you know, working with with top people, so he'll know what he what, what he needs to do. Uh, but like I said, Hulk Air can be a cauldron place to go. Crowds are back now as well, and they'll have four thousand passionate fans there at East Hull. So that'll be a tough game on on the on the coast there for Salford next Friday. But you know we've had a bit of success there in, in the past, and it should be a cracking game. That it really should. Hulk Air has been in, involved in some real belters this season so far. A couple of games that have gone to Golden Point extra time. So I think this could be another one that you know goes right down to the wire. So, that's all the uh, Rugby League uh, tonight. And what we're going to do now, we're going to talk boxing uh, with James. Uh, the big fight uh, is is on. Uh, Floyd, Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather takes on Logan Paul. It's on Sunday night. The same night we'll be recording this, uh, James. So, we won't know what's happened. Uh, you will. Our our listeners, you'll know what, what, what happened. So, we're going to throw it out there, James. What do you think will happen on Sunday night? Yeah, well, this could, I mean, I suppose in a way make me look very stupid because as you, the viewers, you'll know exactly what happened between Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. Of course, us recording this on Sunday night, it's just a few hours before the main event. So uh, I don't know yet. So I'm going to give my prediction and you'll know whether I've got this right or wrong. For me, Floyd Mayweather, one of the greatest boxers of all time. At the weigh-in, he weighed in at 155 pounds, slightly heavier than he usually weighs in. Logan Paul, 189 and a half pounds. So a whopping 34 and a half pounds between the pair. Logan Paul's got a bit of boxing experience. He's also a very good athlete himself. I think he plays fifth at Ohio Wrestling. Huge athlete, a great American football player, and the typical American jock. He's got a bit of boxing experience, a freak athlete, bit of a puncher. But for me, Rob, it's still not going to matter. And I know that he's in the prime of his life. I think he's 26 years old. And I know that Floyd Mayweather, far past his prime at the age of 44, Retired several years ago, I suppose. Returned for a brief fight with Conor McGregor, but hasn't really fought a boxer since Andre Berto way back. But Logan Paul has even less threat to be in there than Conor McGregor, in my opinion. He's had one professional outing. That was a defeat to a fellow YouTuber. And as good an athlete as he is, Floyd Mayweather is the best to ever do this. And the size difference, yes, massive. And if Floyd Mayweather fought a cruiserweight who was around today, like a Lawrence Nicoli or a Marish Bradish, or an Alungu Maccabi, or something like that, of course he'd get beat. But Logan Paul isn't a world-level fighter. He's not even like a, a top American fighter. He's just an athlete who can box a bit, coming from a YouTube background. He's got absolutely no right to be in there with Floyd Mayweather. So despite the size difference, I think Floyd's going to toy with him. I think he stops him in four or five rounds. I mean, Floyd, for the first time in a long time, has got into a fight extremely angry. Of course, Logan's brother Jake stole his hat. That angered Floyd. There was that huge brawl at the press conference. And I think in his last outing against Tenshin Nasakawa, the kickboxer, that exhibition, Floyd definitely didn't treat it like one. He knocked him out inside a round. So I think he's going to be gunning for Logan Paul. Simply because of the size and the fact that Floyd isn't much of a puncher, I don't think it's going to end in a round. But I think within four, Floyd Mayweather will grind down and stop the American. That's my official prediction. I think Floyd Mayweather stops Logan Paul in the fourth round. And of course, this doesn't go on his record, but if it did, he'd be 51-0. Floyd Mayweather wins the fight. Logan's brother, Jake Paul, has booked his return to the ring against the former UFC world champion. Can you break the fight down for us, James? I most certainly can. Jake Paul, an extremely controversial man, isn't he? He's managed to make everybody, it seems, in the world despise him. 
But there's a bit of business sense there. He's turned the MMA world against him. In his last fight, he collided with Ben Askren and knocked him out inside the first round. Ben Askren, of course, renowned for his wrestling and absolutely not for his striking. His next matchup will take place against Tyron Woodley, and it's definitely a more interesting contest. And for me, it's by far the most difficult challenge of Jake Paul's career. Tyron Woodley hits extremely hard. He's got a fantastic highlight reel. However, like Ben Askren, he does come from a wrestling background. He isn't necessarily the most natural of strikers. And it could be argued that his knockout record and his highlight reel makes him look like maybe slightly a better boxer than he actually is. His fundamentals aren't necessarily there. But if Jake does get clipped in this one, it's the first time in his career where he'll go over. Tyron Woodley hits like a freight train moving at a very high speed, extremely heavy hands. And he's very game and he knows how to win fights. He knows how to knock people out. However, he is on the slide. He hasn't looked good in a long time. His last four fights, he's lost. And he hasn't won a round in any of those fights. He hasn't looked spectacular. Tyron Woodley of five years ago, I think I'd go as far to pick him to beat Jake Paul, even in a boxing match. But right now, I think Jake Paul coming into his athletic prime, Tyron Woodley on the slide. I think the YouTuber, Jake Paul, has got a very good chance of winning another fight. I think it's extremely smart matchmaking on behalf of the American. Finding a UFC fighter who looks very good on paper from his striking point of view, but it's more of a highlight reel than actual than actually being supported by technical boxing prowess. So I think Jake Paul probably wins another fight. However, if Tyron Woodley does land, then he can very easily knock Jake Paul out. So that's why this is an intriguing fight, because Tyron Woodley does have the power to stop the YouTuber. Daniel Dubois lost his first ever fight in December, but on his comeback on Saturday, he returns to winning ways in just two rounds. Tell us about that. Yeah, Daniel Dubois, I think many people maybe ruled him out after the defeat to Joe Joyce, of course. He took the knee, he quit that night. But he returned to winning ways on Saturday. It's Bogdan Dinu, who previously had only had two losses on his record, coming against Kubrat Pulev and Gerald Miller, respectively. Kubrat Pulev actually had troubles with Dinu, and Gerald Miller took four rounds to get rid of him. So it was a bit of a statement from the from the Brits to knock him out inside just two rounds with a crushing right hand. And he's back to winning ways. For me, Daniel Dubois still has all the tools in the world to go on to become a world champion. The Joe Joyce fight, for me, even when it was booked, I thought, it's come a bit soon, this. Even if he does win, even if he does beat Joyce, and the fight was close up until the eye injury, he's just going to have to dive straight into higher-ranked opponents, higher-world-level opponents. Would it have been a Joseph Parker next? And then he's just a fight away from a world title. And at just 23 years of age, he wasn't ready for that. So I'm glad that he's taken these building blocks. I'm glad that he's beaten the likes of Dino. And then in three, four, five more fights, you'll get back in with Joyce. Don't get me wrong. The steps above Dino before Joyce, there's still a difference between those two fighters. And he can bridge those steps because he dives straight in from British level to Joe Joyce, who for me is world level. He needs to build up slowly. He needs to find people who are at European level, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe a Marius Vac next or somebody like that. Just take your time with him. There's no rush with Daniel Dubois. Tommy Fury met his toughest opponent today on the undercard as he battled past the game at Jordan Grant. Tell us about that. Yeah, Jordan Grant, the game by name and nature. An extremely good fighter for me. I mean, I think he proved a lot of people wrong in this one, Jordan Grant, because he was written off by many and he gave it a real good attempt. I mean, you couldn't have argued if the fight had been scored a draw. I think in the first and fourth rounds, Jordan Grant looked very good. But Tommy Fury managed to find a way to win. And he's still very young, isn't he? He's young, even younger than me. And I'm only 22 years old. So Tommy Fury's got a lot of work to do. He's got a lot of time to improve. 
He's still lacking those fundamental skills. He's lurking on the job. I mean, his defence probably needs to be tightened up a little bit. But, you know, he's a recipe for success. He's got such a huge following off Love Island. And if he just takes his time, he'll be able to build on things. I mean, Grant was 2-0, and an undefeated fighter. Every other person Tommy Fury had faced and had a, a massive losing record. So he'll have learnt more in this fight than Grant that he has throughout his entire career. So for me, although there were some negative, I come away from this feeling mostly positive. He might be younger than you, James, but he's not getting nominated for awards, is he? <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely not, Rob. Uh, I, he's not the younger MMA journalist of the year by any stretch, is he, Tommy Fury? That uh, actually, hopefully, in a couple of uh, in about a month's time, goes to me. <laughs> is the uh, is a Jake Paul's fight next for Tommy, or is a fight with Deontay Wilder's brother more likely? I mean, either one could be edging closer, Rob. I mean. Tommy Fury's looked fantastic in his last few performances. He looks destructive against a lower level of opposition. And fighters like Jake Paul and Marcellus Wilder look at that and think, maybe I don't want a part of it. But when Tommy stepped up to a slightly higher level in Jordan Crant, who was 2-0, a good fighter in his own right, it showed some flaws in Tommy Fury's game. He needs to tighten up his defence a little bit, maybe work on his footwork, look, just not to get hit as much in general, and maybe implement a bit more ring craft. Tommy Fury is extremely young and there's more than enough time for him to improve and get better. And I'm sure he will. He trains exceptionally hard. But if you're the trainer of Jake Paul or you're the trainer of Marcellus Wilder, you look at that performance and you see things that you can do for your fighter to get the better of Tommy. I mean, for example, Marcellus Wilder and Jake Paul hit very hard. I mean, Jake Paul knocked out Ben Askren in his last fight. And Ben Askren's a man who's renowned for having an extremely good chin. And Tommy Fury was getting tagged by the right hand of Jordan Grant. And one criticism of Jake Paul is that he's not been fighting professional boxers. Even Tyron Woodley in his next fight, yes, a very heavy hitter, but fundamentally a wrestler, as was Ben Askren. And then Nate Robinson and Anderson Gear had absolutely no combat sports background whatsoever. So this will be by far the hardest opponent of Jake Paul career if that fight was to go ahead. And it'd be by far the hardest opponent of Marcellus Wilder's career. But Tommy Fury maybe looks human now. And that's the most important thing to come out of this. However, I still think he's the favourite in both of those fights, Tommy Fury. Jake Paul has, as of late, not really seemed keen for that fight. His trainer, BJ Flores, again, hasn't seemed keen on it. Maybe that'll change round after this performance. And Marcellus Wilder has been beaten in the past by, in my opinion, lesser opponents than Tommy Fury. But I suppose he was controlling those fights until the knockout. And with the fact that he'd probably be taking Tommy Fury a lot more seriously than some of those over opponents, maybe he won't get complacent. Maybe he won't get tagged with right hands. So I think Marcellus and Jake will maybe now be looking at Tommy Fury as a fight that is potentially winnable. But for me, Tommy Fury still goes in as a big favourite in both of those fights, Rob. The deal is done. Eddie Hearn will officially leave Sky Sports. What's next for him? Uh, he'll be going full-time with DAZN. As of, as of the last few years, Eddie Hearn has been working with DAZN in the United States and Italy and Spain, but he's been working with Sky Sports in the UK. That's all about to change now. All the shows that you've seen in Sky Sports over the last few years have been run by Eddie Hearn. He's had an exclusive deal with Sky Sports, and other than maybe the odd Sourland show here and there in the World Boxing Super Series, all the shows at prime time have been Eddie Hearn matchroom boxing. So this will completely change the landscape of the sport, in my opinion, with all his fighters, all his big events, all going over to DAZN. It's going to be extremely interesting. They'll do 16 shows there. I think 12 normal shows and four premium events, which you know I assume will either be you know, big names or pay-per-views. 
from my point of view, it's looking like Anthony Joshua and Dillian White will both stay on Sky Sports on a box office platform. The deal doesn't include them. But all the other fighters will be heading over to the zone. Is this good for the sport? If you're a hardcore boxing fan, yeah. Because you'll probably get more fights, better undercars, etc., etc. But for the casual boxing fan, I don't think this is ideal. And I don't think it's going to help the sport in a way. Because to get casual fans into it, you need your Sky Sports news to get people interested. You need it to come after, you know, Super Saturday. A big game between Manchester United and Chelsea. And then the presenters are going, stick with us. We've got Conor Ben up next. Or we've got Amir Khan up next. Or we've got Kel Brook up next, etc., etc. And without that, who's going to know these fights are on? Because the pubs aren't going to be putting on, you know, zone fights. They're not going to be signing up for this subscription service. They just have Sky Sports and BT Sport on. So I don't think it's great for the landscape of boxing. But, I mean, Eddie Hearn must see some promise in this. Whether it's going to work out in the end, I don't know. As to what's going to happen with Sky Sports, I mean, they're going to apparently be working with promoters left, right and centre. But Frank Warren, the next biggest in the country, he's tied to BT. So what's your options? Do they just sign a deal with the Sourlands and hope maybe that Eubank Jr. and maybe the World Boxing Super Series and that's their boxing content? I don't know, but I don't think it's great for the sport all in all. His last ever show on Sky takes place on Saturday night. Is this a fitting one for him to finish on? Yes and no. And by by that, I mean, I suppose, considering Ahers completely abandoning Sky Sports, yes, in a way, because he's leaving them on a, on a show that's nothing special. Lewis Richardson taking on Jeremiah Ponce in an IBF eliminator for a world title. Lewis Richardson lost his last fight and he got an absolute robbery on the cards against Pagol Vasquez. So it's a bit of a, I don't know what expression to look for, but a bit of a slap in the face, I suppose, to Sky Sports Bots. And he's leaving them and he's leaving them with this. So, uh, yeah, not a great end to the relationship between Sky Sports and Eddie Hearn. Uh, lastly, there's been a big social media spat between two Mexican legends. Tell us about that. Oscar De La Hoya and Canelo Alvarez, of course, had a very close relationship back in the day as promoter and, I suppose, client. But Canelo Alvarez left Oscar De La Hoya, teamed up with Eddie Hearn, and Oscar De La Hoya, seemingly with a bit of sour grapes, is posting comments on Canelo's Instagram post saying things like, oh, you're not actually that good and you're ducking the Charlo brothers, etc., etc." I mean, Oscar De La Hoya, a bit hypocritical, really, because he, he moved hell and earth to try and get Canelo Alvarez to avoid Gennady Golovkin. I think a few of us will recall when he knocked out Amir Khan, Golovkin got into the ring, they built up the fight, and then it didn't happen until years later. Canelo ended up fighting Liam Smith at Cowboy Stadium. So I don't think Oscar De La Hoya has any room to talk. And Canelo, for me, if it was up to him, I don't think he'd duck anyone. He's one of those fighters who'll get in the ring with absolutely anybody. So for me, it's not looking very good for Oscar De La Hoya, and he should just focus on his own comeback fight in late June, which I don't believe there's even an opponent for yet. I think that... The UFC blocked uh, George St. Pierre from fighting Oscar De La Hoya, another UFC legend. So uh, I think Oscar De La Hoya should just, just focus on himself, really. Yeah, that's all the boxing chat. And now we're going to talk UFC, James. So let's talk UFC now, James. James, and UFC 263 takes place this weekend. And there's a big rematch for the middleweight championship of the world. Tell us all about that. The most certainly is, Rob. Israel Stylebender Adesanya takes on Marvin Vittori for the middleweight championship of the world and it's a great one this a bit of a grudge match the pair met before the fight went three rounds it finished in a split decision win for Israel Adesanya who is the current champion but since then Marvin Vittori's looked fantastic as of late he's beat the likes of Jack Hermanson Kevin Holland and he's really deserved the shot at the middleweight world championship for me Israel Adesanya at that weight class has looked absolutely spectacular since Marvin he went on an incredible run beating the likes of Derek Brunson 
Anderson Silva. He fought for the world title against your man, Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whittaker, and absolutely <laughs> dismantled him in explosive fashion. He then defended the belt against Paolo Costa, yet another grudge match. Absolutely, you know, wiped the floor with him as well. He stepped up to light heavyweight to try and become a two-weight world champion against Jan Blachowicz, Mr. Polish Power. And he was beat on a decision that night. Absolutely no shame in that by any by any stretch of the imagination. But he's come back down to his natural weight class now at middleweight. At light heavyweight, he was a little bit too small. Despite being very tall, he's, he's a very slender man. And he didn't have to cut much weight, if any weight, to make that light heavyweight class. So he's definitely more of a middleweight. This rematch is going to be extremely interesting with the fight being so close first time around. But for me, I still fancy Israel Adesanya over the five rounds. I mean, the momentum, I suppose, is more with Vittori. He's riding the win streak. And it'll be interesting to see how Israel Adesanya's confidence is affected by this. Because, of course, he'd never been beat in mixed martial arts before his last fight. And coming straight into this, a rematch that was so close the first time around off a loss. It's not the greatest place for your head to be in, but... Israel Adesanya, despite not feeling losses in the world of MMA before, he's felt them in kickboxing, he's felt them in boxing, and he's come back from them. So there's no doubt in my mind that he can come back from this. He still believes that he's one of the best fighters in the world, as he is. So I think that he beats Marvin Vittori via, I'm going to say a fourth or fifth round stoppage. I think Vittori's a dog. I think he can grind out the first couple of rounds, but then I think I think he'll end up getting stopped later on in the fight. But an upset wouldn't shock me. Of course, the fight being so close the first year on and Vittori being a very game man. I think we're in for a great, exciting fight. It shocked me if this one bored people. The rematch dream continues in the co-main event as a flyweight champion of the world defends his belt against a man who held him to a draw last time out. James, interesting that. Most certainly, Davidson and Brandon, Davidson Figueredo and Brendan Moreno had an unbelievable fight last time out. One of the best fights of the year. I mean, it was nip and tuck the entire way through. It was an absolute war. Figueredo was hurt at points. Moreno was hurt at points. And they just put on an absolute service to mixed martial arts. An incredible display. It was You didn't know which way it was going to go at either point. It was going one way, then the other. And of course, I think Figueredo ended up having a point deducted, which is why it ended up as a draw. I still fancy Figueredo. I think he's the best flyweight on the planet, but Moreno has more than earned another shot at the belt. And who knows, maybe he can fulfill that fairy tale and get the win. But for me, I'd still fancy the champion to retain his belt. One of Britain's best rising stars collides with one of the biggest names in the history of the USC. Tell us all about that, James. I'm extremely excited for this one, Rob. Leon Rocky Edwards finally gets his shot at the big time. Everybody knows the name. Nate Diaz, the man from Stockton, the famous Stockton slap, the man who's beaten Conor McGregor in the past, one of the biggest pay-per-view headliners of all time and one of the fans' favourite stars. But for me, I think Leon Edwards is going to beat him. I really, really do. And I know this is a big step up. I know that Nate Diaz is such a big name and Leon Edwards will have never, ever felt anything like the pressure that he's going to feel on Saturday night. But for me, he's the type of athlete that rises to the occasion he had such a hard upbringing in Jamaica, you know, constantly seeing shootings. He, he grew up in gang violence in uh, Birmingham when he moved over there. And he's just looked from going from strength to strength in every single fight. He's not somebody who gets phased by the big occasion. He just seems to get better and better and better. And his last fight against Bilal Mohammed, yes, it finished in a no contest due to the unfortunate injuries to Mohammed's eye. But Leon Edwards didn't seem to show any ring rust whatsoever from an extremely long period out the cage. I think he'll climb with Nate Diaz. I think he'll win the fight. I think he stops him about four or five. And people might think I'm mad for saying that. 
because Nate Diaz is notoriously hard and notoriously durable and doesn't really ever get stopped. And he only got stopped in his last fight due to a horrendous cut. But Leon Edwards, for me, I genuinely think he's a talent on another level. And yes, I know he lost to the champion in Kamara Usman, but Usman could be the greatest welterweight of all time. I mean, there's only really GSP that contests with him for that honour. So Edwards, I think, has got to put his strikes together in bunches. Nate Diaz, yes, great, but has been around for such a long period of time. Has so much scar tissue. I think Leon Edwards is going to be a little bit quicker. And I think fundamentally, he's probably a little bit of a better fighter. If it does go to the ground, Edwards has showed extremely good credentials there. Of course, you still favour Diaz with that extremely high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But for me, Leon Edwards gets the win. He gets it in fashion. And I think he could fight for the UFC belt next. There's another great welterweight matchup on the card as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, Bilal Mohamed, who I just mentioned there, who fought Leon Edwards in the last fight, of course, sustained a horrendous eye injury for which that fight had to be stopped for. But he's back against Damian Meyer. Meyer slightly passed his best. One of the best, best fundamentalists in the game. A real old-school specialist. And there's not many of them that, that still trade off one discipline. But his Brazilian jiu-jitsu is absolutely out of this world. He got beaten his last fight by Gilbert Burns. I think it was the first time he'd been knocked out in about 20-something fights. It was a ridiculous record that he was on. But I think Bilal Mohamed is, again, closer to his prime. I think Damian Meyer gets beat either via another stoppage or on points. But Mohamed might be a bit tense. In fact, so will Meyer. It's going to be interesting, this one. Who can bounce back? Because obviously Meyer hadn't been stopped for so long and he has to battle those demons. Whereas Mohamed has to battle the demons of the fact that he was injured so badly in his last fight. It'll be extremely interesting, but if I had to put my life in it, I'd go towards Bilal Mohamed. Final UFC question. One of the Scotland's best also returns to the cage. Tell us about that. Yeah, Paul Craig, a real legend of Scottish martial arts. He's back against Mahal Hill. I think he wins this one. Paul Craig's been on a terrific run. He beat Shogun Hua, and he's just looking better and better. I think he's coming into the prime of his career, and I think he absolutely dominates on Saturday night. Yep, so that's all the UFC chat now, James. And let's talk football and the Euros starts uh, this weekend. Uh, super excited about the tournament. Oh, Rob, I couldn't be more thrilled. I mean, we've been so deprived of sport the last couple of years, and I think the European Championships is putting a smile on everybody's faces. And you know what? I'm going to say it now. I think England got a real, real shot in this one. We're going to kick the campaign off against Croatia, and I know we're going to break down every single group, but I'm too excited, Rob. Croatia. We're coming in off the back of a victory over Romania, and I suppose we need to go over this a little bit. Rashford, of course, bagging the penalty. Henderson. Desperate to take one of his own. Probably took it off Calvert-Lewin and ultimately missed that penalty. Not a great performance by him, but what did you make of the game and how do you think that's going to affect us going into the Croatia match? Well, yeah, it was it was a, it was a game that needed to be played. I'm sure the players, you know, it's not about winning that game. It's about coming in hot uh, in the in the Euros, and that's I think that's what's going to happen. Obviously, the Man United contingent, the Chelsea contingent, and the Man City contingent weren't weren't there and weren't involved. So it's a good exercise for for Gareth Southgate's men uh, before the the tournament kicks off. James, what do you think? I think I agree with you, Rob. But going into this game against Croatia. We need all the confidence in the world. It's a huge rematch, isn't it, really, considering Croatia dumped us out of the World Cup last time out in a championship which I felt I felt was coming home to us. So it was absolutely devastating when that semi-final happened, especially after Trippier got the whole country on its feet after that fantastic free kick. But we need to prove a point here for me, Rob. We need to beat Croatia. And if we do it, we've got a real good chance of winning the tournament because it's the biggest confidence booster you can get. Yeah. 
thinking about talking about Croatia there and the transition period at the moment. Obviously, the experience they had in the last World Cup will will benefit them. Uh, Luka Modric is is their star man, um, and we've, we've got to obviously look watch out for him and, and various other Croatians because it's going to be a difficult tie against them. Most certainly, Croatia. I mean. A very underrated side, probably one of the best sides in the world at the moment. I mean, I know the side is ageing a little bit, but they made it all the way to the final of the World Cup last time. So who's to say they can't go to the final of the European Championships and potentially win it? I wouldn't rule them out. Mm -hmm. So for me, as an England supporter, this is a huge game because it really sets up our campaign. Because let's say we lose to Croatia and then we beat Scotland and the Czech Republic, who by no means are easy feat because Scotland... It's their World Cup final just playing us in an international tournament. And Czech Republic are a good side as well. But again, we go into those matches the favourite. So even if we do beat them, we'll still have the, the fact lingering over us that we can't compete with the big boys. We can't beat the big boys like Croatia. So winning this is absolutely massive. And we're going to have the confidence to win the tournament and beat the likes of your Spain, your Germany, your France, your Portugal, etc. Yeah, obviously looking at the Czech Republic, they're they're work they work hard. They're very organised. Got a long, lot of young players in in that in that squad. Uh, Thomas Sukar is is going to be their star man, uh, James. But you look back at the greats that have played for the Czech Republic in the past, and this team isn't isn't the same uh, patch, unfortunately. I mean, I suppose years ago, the they did have the likes of Petr Cech, Thomas Rosicky, etc. And maybe they're not that side anymore. But I still feel like the Czech Republic are a challenge. By no means have we got a single easy team in this group. I mean, maybe you'd give Scotland that mantle, but the fact that they have such this intense rivalry with us, they'll be so motivated that there won't be a single easy game throughout this group stage. And a lot of teams get the look of that. I mean, the team, there's teams like North Macedonia in the group stages who are, who are playing there for the first ever time. I mean, we'll probably get onto them in a bit. Who you'd maybe see as a bit of a layup. Maybe a chance to play some of the younger lads, give other players a rest. But for me, England will have to be bang on every single game. Yeah, you talked about Scotland. 22 years since they were last in the tournament. Uh, they're also a hard-working side. Like you said, England is their big, big game. That, that England-Scotland battle of Britain, that's the that's going to be exciting and, to watch. The two players you got to look out for for them um, is Andy Robinson. He's the captain. Uh, and John McGinn uh, from, from Scotland. Both talented players. And there's a lot of uh, talent in that Scotland squad. And Gareth Southgate will need to uh, be ready with his team uh, when the Scots come to play. Most certainly. I mean, they're going to be going for it so much. that I think we're going to have to play a really tight defence. I think defending in that game is so important and maybe look for counter-attacks because Scotland aren't going to give up. They're going to be so motivated. For me, they're going to play off the back of emotions. I think they'll be going for it, going for it, going for it. And I think that will leave some openings for England. So hopefully the likes of Kane can take advantage of that, score some goals. And if we really put it together, our best is always going to be better than Scotland's. So no matter how motivated they are, we still fancy us to get the win. But overall, Rob, when you look at that group stage, where do you see us finishing? Are we first, second, third or fourth? I think we've got to be looking at finishing first, James, with that, with the, with the players and the the teams involved. Croatia will be our main competitors. Um, Scotland are there. They could cause an upset. Czech Republic are a good side as well. So it's going to be difficult. Uh, but I think Gareth Southgate will need to be qualifying uh, first to, to, to get the, the press off his back because obviously if England get beat in, in one of the early games it might put a lot of pressure on him Oh it really would, I mean as I say what I said before, if we lose to Croatia then we just think we can't compete with the big boys and even if we can beat Czech Republic we can beat Scotland, it'll be well we're just delaying the inevitable of going out to a better side so winning this game is so important as far as I'm concerned it really is, and if we do top the group Rob can we win the whole thing? We need to make this prediction now. 
yeah, I think I think we can, James. I think as long as they they stay injury free and they get confidence after the first couple of games and, and win them, uh, that Gareth Southgate's men on the way to uh, to the final because obviously I think the, the the final and semi final played in in Wembley Stadium, so that's an advantage as well for England in in the latter stages because obviously Euro '96 that was a similar situation when we were we were at home and the crowd got behind them even though I suppose it will be a socially distanced crowd at that point, but still we'll, we'll be looking forward to that. Um, obviously looking at the other other groups as well, James, which is really important. They've got some good sides in in Group A, uh, Turkey. Very impressive in the in the qualifying uh, for them. I think they look like dark horses uh, for the competition. Um, I think with the Euros, a lot of lot of teams in Europe are considered dark horses because that people think, oh yeah, you know they're not what they should be. Uh, but we've got to be careful because if you come across the likes of Turkey, it could be a problem. I mean, there's a few. I mean, usually you have one group that stands out of the, as the group of death row. But for mm. me, there's several this year that could be considered the group of death. And Group A is most certainly one of them. I mean, you fancy Italy to win the group, I think. Yeah. They're probably the standout side. But if you look at the other three, Turkey, Wales, Switzerland, that can go any way. And I know that Wales did so well in the last championships. I think they made it all the way to the semi-finals, didn't they? But all in all, Turkey and Switzerland still are probably more proven than Wales over the past 20 years or so. So despite the fact that Wales did well in the last tournament. You can't write off the likes of Wales, uh, likes of Turkey and Switzerland. I maybe actually fancy Italy and Switzerland, Switzerland to come for as the second side. But as you say, I suppose you think that Turkey are going to be number two. I mean, it's such a tight group to call this one. You're right there, James. Obviously, looking at Italy, Roberto Mancini in charge of them. He has a 70% win ratio, uh, which is very good. He won 10 out of 10 in qualifying. Uh, Ciro Immobile is the is the star man uh, for Italy. He plays for Lazio. Uh, 12 goals in 45 games for Italy. So, I, th- I think the Italians see him um, as their guy to come to. Obviously, in a major tournament, uh, there's always one that comes in the, comes in the, uh, the outside, and he could be the guy. Yeah, I think so. You need one person to stand out. I think he very well could be. I mean, Rob, if I had to put it on you right now, and I think we should do this for every single group. I mean, if it was Group A, I'd say Italy and probably Switzerland maybe as Wales in third, Turkey in fourth. Mm. I mean, it's difficult to say because obviously you just told me about how well Turkey have had, the form that they've had. And I agree with you. I think they're a great side. Mm. And I'm only putting them fourth because of the standard in that group. But if you had to pick your order for that group, what would it be? Well, it's a good question, that, James, because obviously we, we, you all point to Italy because Italy are a major player, aren't they, in the international stage? Uh, but we like with Switzerland, you never know what you're going to get with them. Um, they, you know, they're blown out and cold in, in the qualifying and, and they come to the tournament, only needs one game to, to draw, drop a few points and they could be in. So look, looking at this, uh, the list of in Group A here, you got to think Italy will be top. We're not even talked about Wales and Gareth Bale. You know they're they're the 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 fairy tale uh, team that that we're looking at breaking into this uh, into the top two in this in this um, group. So for me, I, I'm I'm thinking Italy to 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 get through as group winners, and I'm going to go for Wales to to upset the apple cart and go through uh, in second. Interesting. And then we look over to Group B, and again, quite a good group: Belgium, Finland, Denmark, Russia. Four good sides, four sides that can make a bit of a dent in this one. But for me, when you look at the four, as good as, you know, the Denmark and Finnish and the Russians are in this world, I think you've got to make the Belgians the favourites. 
Yeah, Bel- Belgium, 40 goals in the qualifying competition. Only conceded three. 10 out of 10 uh, in wins. R- ranked first in the world rankings. And like you said, that they've got some stars. They've got Rumelun Lukaku. Kevin Gabrani might be a problem with his injury suffered in the, the Champions League final. But they are sort of uh, shown as favourites in the competition. Uh, Mark Rum- Martinez has been you know, a great manager for them. And... The Belgians will be knowing their team, thinking, you know, this could be the year that they come up good and, and win a competition. It's going to be tough for them, don't get me wrong, because if you go into a competition as favourites, they, all the eyes are on you, aren't they? So it will be interesting to see what happens, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. They've got some good players in that squad, James. Yeah, they most certainly do. And it's weird, isn't it, Belgium? Because I suppose 20 years ago, nobody thought of Belgium as a mm. big power player in the sport. But, like, I suppose over the past... 10 years or so, that sign has really developed well, hasn't it? And now they are obviously where they are and considered one of the favourites to win this tournament. It wouldn't surprise me if they do it, Rob. But when you look for a second team to come for out of that group, I think Finland, I think they're a decent side, but I'd probably pick them to come bottom. And then you look at Russia and Denmark for the other side, fairly evenly matched. I'd edge towards Russia, and I'd say it's Belgium top it, followed by Russia, followed by Denmark and Finland at the bottom. What way would you have it? Well, if you, if you look at the teams, um, James, Finland finished second in the qualifying group behind Italy. F- for me, it pa- must be a kind of learning process for them because nothing really expected. Uh, Timu Luki, who plays for uh, Norwich, uh, is their main guy. He scored 10 goals in 16 games uh, in the qualifying. Uh, so we, if he if he start, starts to fire, it gives them half a chance. Uh, Russia... Like you said, they're the team that are kind of rebuilding at the moment. They finished last eight in 2018 World Cup. And if they're on a real rebuilding, is this competition come too soon for them? That's the, that's the big question. Denmark, confident going into this tournament. You've got Kasper Schmeichel in the goal. You've got Christian Eriksen pulling the strings in for that team. You know, we talked about 20 years ago, Denmark were there and thereabouts with Schmeichel. I think they won it against Germany. So it could be a, it could be a re, rerun of that. But for this particular group, I'm thinking Belgium first, Denmark second to go through. Interesting pick, Rob. And now moving on to Group C. And for me, this one, probably the weakest of the three we've discussed so far. North Macedonia, for me, maybe the layups of this group. Not trying to be disrespectful, but for me, they're the weaker side. Mm. The Dutch, the Netherlands, I mean, they probably go in the favourites in this one. And then you pick him between the Ukraine and Austria. i probably edge towards Austria, but again, between those two teams, maybe it can go either way. How do you see this group? Yeah, we talked about North Macedonia being the the whipping boys, but they did beat Germany in the qualifiers, which is interesting. Uh, They've got Azaki, who plays for Leeds in in the midfield, and it's going to be obviously their first tournament, um, and anything goes in in these kind of things. When a team turns up, there's no expectation, there's freedom to play, so they're going to be a dangerous animal in this group. The Netherlands, with Frank de Boer as the manager, They'll have missed uh, back-to-back tournaments, the World Cup and the Euros, last two years. So, be back in this competition is a boost for them. Um, you've got Memphis Depay, you know, firing goals in for Leon, And he's going to be their star man. Lots of talk about what the Dutch are going to be like. They fell out with each other previously in different tournaments. So, hopefully, United uh, Netherlands is going to be a good thing going forward. The Ukraine, he managed by uh, Sevchenko, ex-Chelsea player there. He, he's going to be interesting to see what happens with his team. They've got young players in that squad. And it's going to be interesting to see. They've got a centre-forward called Andre. I think it's Yathenko. He scored 38 goals in qualifying, so he's hot. Uh, so, you'll never, see, you'll never know what happens. But talking about Austria, they've never won a game in the Euros. And they're very, very defensive. So it's going to have to see 
I think Austria is going to be the, the game where if they're defensive and they're not wanting to attack and getting a point, whoever beats Austria goes through. But for me, Netherlands, Ukraine, uh, top two in that group. Interesting. And moving over to Group D, I don't want to go on about it too much because we have sort of already covered it. Mm. But for me, I'm going to say England, Croatia, Czech Republic, Scotland. Well, look, looking at the, uh, like I said, with England, bit of a tricky start with, with you know, battle of, Brit- battle of Britain against Scotland. Harry Kane, he, he's the man. If he's firing England, he'll be fine. So, yeah, Croatia are going to be a tough side. Czech Republic hard working. So, for me, Scotland, England to finish top, Croatia to go through second. That'd be a, a good run for me. And then moving on to Group A, another tough one here. Spain, Sweden, Poland, Slovakia, four great sides. Obviously, you're making maybe Spain the favourites with the calibre they've produced in this tournament before. I mean, winning it in 2008. And they went on that run, didn't they? Won the, Ukraine, uh, the World Cup straight after, etc. Very good side. Not performed at their peak over the past few years, but I still fancy them to win the group. And then I'd, I'd go for Poland in second with how well Lewandowski's playing. Maybe Sweden in third, Slovakia in fourth. But just quickly looking at Sweden, Rob, we've talked on the show before about Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming back for Sweden and how big an impact it would have and the morale it would give them. However, he's been injured. He's not going to return. Will that have an impact on them? Yeah, I think with Sweden, very good defensively. But like you said, James, they've got an old squad. That's even without Zatman sort of playing the game. I, I think he'll be missed. They've got a centre-forward called Dejan Kovensky, who's their top goal scorer. A lot of pressure on him now. Uh, Zatland's not, not available. We, we talked about Spain. Um, not as good as previous Spanish squads, I feel. They've got a good mix of youth and experience, which is which is good going forward. But no Sergio Ramos, which is going to be a problem for them, James. He was left out of the squad. Uh, big move, that, for, for Spain, uh, leaving him out, don't you feel? Yeah, I suppose he's ageing and maybe that's the reason why. But for me, Sergio Ramos is still a world-class player. I still think he's an excellent player. So it's a very bold move to leave him out. And I'm not sure what an impact that'll have on Spain because at times you do need these more experienced players. You need the likes of Sergio Ramos who know how to win games, who know ultimately how to win tournaments. You're not wrong, You're not wrong James, because obviously Spain know how to win games, don't they? But this is a new sort of mix and... I feel it might not be the right time for them. They've got a centre forward, a Gerard, is it Mourinho, centre uh, striker. He's their main man up front, scoring all the goals, and, that, and that's a, that's a thing, I suppose, with Spain. They, they've got experience in the right areas. They've got recent history on the side as well, uh, so that might work, you know, for them or against them in this big tournament. Because obviously, we'll be looking, remember, in the old days, you know, with the likes of Raal and and you know playing. Uh, good football and Torres up front and, and not scoring, you know, winning championships and World Cups and stuff like that. And, and there might be a better pressure on this team. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. So how would you see the group going from first to fourth? Well, it's going to be interesting because obviously looking at the Poland, you've got Paolo Sosa. Uh, he led them through the, the qualifying uh, competition. Robert Lewandowski, like like you said before, he's a he's a star for them, and he knows how to score goals. So for them, for me, it's up about getting the ball to him in and around the box. Because if you get the ball to him, he'll, he'll work his magic. It might be a good thing uh, for for Poland. Uh, Slovakia are inconsistent. Inconsistent. I think there's low expectations in that in that country. They've got ten players over over thirty. James and and it's important obviously you know we get a good mix but they're on the wrong side of the and they're going down it's going to be interesting to see but looking at the the, the people in this in this squad uh, in this group sorry 
for me, I'm going Spain to win it, and I'm going to go Poland to finish second. Very, very interesting pick. And then there's another tough group in the final one, Group F. We've got Germany, France, Portugal, and Hungary. Yeah. And I assume most people assume that Hungary will come bottom. And maybe Germany and France will become first and second, probably with France first and Germany in second and Portugal in third. However, Portugal are coming into this as the reigning champions. And although they never perform particularly well throughout qualifiers, they always seem to bring it in the actual championships. They always do. They always perform well at semifinals, finals. And last time out, they won. They're the reigning champions. And I actually picked them at 20 to 1 to win it last time out. And people told me I was mad, but I fancied the Portuguese and they ended up pulling it off. Can they qualify through this group? Can they prove everybody wrong yet again? Or are France and Germany going to be too good? Well, it's going to be interesting. Portugal are the holders of the Euros. Uh, they've got a more conservative style uh, than the last few years. Uh, but they have got Cristiano Ronaldo and he knows how to play. And he's a born winner. I watched a documentary about him last uh, weekend. And his whole career is driven uh, to win. And his sort of success with the uh, Portuguese... In the last Euros, even though he got injured and he was taken off the field, it meant so much to him. So to defend the crown is going to be a big, 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 big thing for Cristiano. So it's going to be interesting to see. Very talented squad. Got some good players in there. Pepe, he's 38, though. He's, he's, he's getting on the wrong side. Uh, but he's still there. And and the, like you say, you can't discount them because they because they won, la- won it last time, James. It will be a big test for him. Um, but has, has Ronaldo got, the, got it in his legs? That's a big question. I think Ronaldo has still got it, Rob. As old as he is, he's an absolute freak athlete. He could have taken it to any sport, and he just happens to be one of, if not the best football players in the world. For me, he's the number two uh, behind Lionel Messi. So, Portugal, he'll make a big impact for them. However, I think you hit the nail on the head then when you say that he went off the field. Portugal still managed to win, and there's been this narrative over the past like sort of 10 years or so that Portugal are a one-man side. I don't feel that way. I feel there's other quality in the team. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. I agree with that totally, James. But obviously, looking at the the other, you know, people in this group, you got Germany. Um, Joachim Lowe's leaving, leaving them. So that's going to be a blow to them. You got uh, Cruz as well. And for me, Germany, not a very German thing to say, but weak defensively for me. And if you get at them, there's going to be there's going to be creaks in them. But Lowe wants to go off on a high, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Most certainly. And if we look over now towards the odds of who's going to win this tournament, France, the current, the bookies' favourites at 5-1. to one. Yeah. And then we come in at 11-2. to two. So mm. if we want to break that down, first things first, let's look at France. Should they be the bookies' favourites to win this? Well, France have got some very good te- very good players in that squad, haven't they? Uh, Pogba, Kante, Griezmann, Benzema, oozing class everywhere you look in that in that friend's uh, side Dedier Shom the, co- the coach anything less than a semi-final appearance for them will be seen as a failure back in France so they, they do kind of need this tournament to, to start uh, boosting you know the rates and the, and the, and the, and the confidence in the country after everything they've gone through yeah it's going to be tough for them but I think would I be in would I rather be in England position or would I rather be in France position that's a big question James yeah, I mean, France, of course, coming into this one off a great World Cup. Obviously, you know how obviously well did in the final beat in Croatia. But moving on to us at 11-2. to two, hmm. I mean, it's not just us having this delusional belief that it's coming home. No. The bookmakers think we've got a real shot. 
Yeah, you're right, James. They, they do. And I look, I look at this team and, and this squad that the Gareth Southgate's uh, managed to put together. And I, I feel we've got a real chance. We just need to make sure that we stay confident, we stay fit and we, and we go on, on and, and compete in every game. Injuries are a big thing because obviously you start losing people. Uh, that's when you know you start to start to stretch your squad. Uh, Trent Arnold, he's already been injured, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with uh, with the players left. Yeah, and then moving on, the third favourite, Belgium. You mentioned that you think they could be, you know, a potential winner of this. Then you're moving on to Germany and Portugal, both on nine to one. Portugal currently the bookies' uh, fifth favourites to win this one to retain their title. Spain at ten to one. Could you imagine a few years ago Spain being the sick favourites to win something? Well, not really, James. It was pretty, pretty mad, really, because obviously they are a very big side, and and you know international football. You remember the glory days, don't you? And for them to be down flat, you know, floundering in fifth place, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Obviously, with with a minute to go in, in this show, James, and we're we're looking forward to the Euros. Let's just look at this, you know, final group. Germany, France, Portugal, Hungary. Who goes through? Germany, Portugal, France, Hungary. What's your take? France topped the group for me. Uh, and as good as Germany are, I'm going to say Portugal come second because they always manage to pull it out at the international competitions. But, I mean, it would be very Portugal-esque to come third in this group and still go through, because isn't it? Because it's 12 sides go through based on first and second. And then I think the fourth best third place sides go through as well. So it will be very Portugal-esque to bag that one of those positions. I agree with you, James. I, I think I'm going France and Portugal, like yourself said. Germany team, you know, on the on the slide, Joe Shimli, uh, low on his way out. It's going to be very interesting to see. We've got 10 seconds to go, James. Pick a winner. Who's going to win the Euros? It comes home, Rob. It comes home. It comes home. And we're going to be talking all about it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Make sure you tune in next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. <laughs>